Welcome to We Fly the Flag, the Air Canada Pilots Podcast. This is part one of two, Negotiations, episode five. Hello and welcome to episode five of the We Fly the Flag podcast. I'm your host, Jason Chamberlain. In this episode, I'm joined by Negotiations Committee Chair, Captain James Ralph, and Negotiations Committee Vice Chair, Captain Harold Evans. We have a lot to cover today, and in fact, just the planning portion of this podcast episode far exceeded the page numbers from any previous episodes. (laughs) So we're going to jump right in. The episode's going to dig deeper into the negotiations process. We'll discuss some examples of weaknesses in our contract language, albeit weaknesses that directly affect our pilots' work-life balance. We'll address the most common questions the negotiations committee is asked, and we'll explore the next steps in the process. So, James, thank you for being here. Could you tell me a bit more about yourself and how you came to be our negotiations committee chair? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having us. We're excited to be here and and speaking to you. Um, So I was hired in 2005. Uh, Currently, I'm a uh, Toronto uh, 787 captain. Uh, My pilot representation uh, stems back uh, 10 plus years uh, after FOS uh, in 2011, I was essentially voluntold to uh, to join the scheduling committee, uh, put my money where my mouth was, if you will, and um, and I I then became uh, the chair of the scheduling committee in uh, 2014, and uh, and then subsequently to the negotiating committee in 2017, uh, where that ended in 2021, and then uh, now in uh, 2022, the MEC had asked me to return as the chair of your negotiating committee, and and that's where we are today. All right, that's great. Thank you, James. Captain Harold Evans, welcome. Could you tell us a bit about yourself as well? Uh, So a little behind James, I was hired in 2007, uh, currently a 767 freighter captain in Toronto. Uh, Much the same as James, though, I started volunteering in the fallout of uh, TA1, and as we moved towards FOS, I was a voting certification committee, became the chair, uh, joined the strategic options committee where we investigated joining ALPA or doing something else with our union. Uh, From there, I became an elected uh, vice chair in Toronto and then was part of the governance review committee when we changed the new structure, came in as a nationally elected member. I was on the CEO search committee. I was a finance audit investment chair. Uh, I was on the unity committee to once again look at ALPA, so I've done that path a few times. I chaired the career progression working group where we tried to make sure that our regional partners were not being whipsawed against each other and give them a path to move towards Air Canada. And then I took a step back and I took about two and a half years off until I was asked to come back in and join the Ghost Committee with James uh, last year. All right. Thank you, Harold. That's great. There's a lot of experience between just the two of you, not just flying, but also with the union work and volunteering. But you're also part of a committee with some other members there, so we should give them an honourable mention. Harold, who else is with you on the Negotiations Committee? Yeah, so uh, we have from Montreal, Captain Kirill Shurnishov, from Toronto, Captain Scott Darrell. Um, I'm sorry, I should say, Carrillo was hired in 2018. He's a Montreal three, a 220 captain. Okay. Scott's hired in 2016. He's a Toronto 320 captain. Uh, captain Craig Weir, also hired in 2016, a 320 captain Toronto. Uh, First Officer Dan Nero, hired in 2017. He's a 220 FO. He's also the local 253 FO and RP status rep. All right, that's great. And anybody else that joins you there too? At the table, generally, generally, we have our LRD member, Brad Ridge, who's a lawyer here with ALPA. 
uh, Elizabeth Spear, who represents the economic and financial analysis with Alpa, and quite often Andrew Shostak, who's also LRD. Okay. Not, notwithstanding the amount of volunteers from different committees and other staff members that are, are in and out of the uh, sequence as yeah. we do negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. All right, very good. Well, 10 years of framework, uh, it doesn't matter what article I mention, it's pretty much outdated. That leaves the negotiations committee and the company with a monumental task. They've got to bring forth an agreed-upon TA that not only meets today's aviation standards, but also the Air Canada pilot groups as well. It's definitely no small feat. Uh, there's a lot of ground to make up. James, if we rewind a bit to the start of the process, let's say the survey data is in, the comparator documents are finalized. I think the team, I think they went to multiple training sessions that focused on negotiations and bringing them up to speed. And then bargaining officially began. So can you tell me about the process uh, then until now? I mean, you're right. We did we did attend um, many uh, training sessions and, and so forth and, and talk to our counterparts and roundtables down in, in ELPA. But, uh, you know, let's just backtrack a little bit here to, to April. And I, did, I think that it's important to know that, you know, we did offer a quick bargain uh, to the company. Uh, and we offered, you know, something... Uh, if you will, that had substantial gains, but not necessarily looking at every every particular article. You know, at that time, we had a significant change in the MEC. We had just voted in ALPA. So there was a lot of moving parts going on uh, at the time. Um, essentially, the company came back and and, and bluntly, they, they said 2% and, and the MPU increases were, were enough to, to continue on. And obviously, uh, the MEC at the time, and, and rightfully so, had a, had a difference of opinion. So, I mean, but to answer your question more, more directly, you know, the 10-year framework was, was, was in place uh, and the MEC, because of the uh, benchmarks not being met, uh, elected to, to end the framework. Uh, we started as a committee uh, in spring collecting the information from other committees and basically creating our, our first survey. This is a very data-driven uh, negotiating committee through the MEC. And once we had collected the survey data, we started to work through each article uh, line by line uh, very extensively. We locked ourselves in a, in a boardroom, if you will, here at Alpa HQ and went through our entire 300-page collective agreement, looking at every single line uh, to develop proposals. Um, from there, uh, based on the survey data, based on recommendations from our subject matter experts, and based on conversations that we had with externals, uh, whether that's other airlines or other uh, experts in, in the field, we decided to develop proposals to the company and we started to present them to them in the summer after the notice to bargain had been issued by Alpa. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking. Okay, so digging a little deeper, our contract is made up of building blocks called articles. There's 34 of them. I imagine you're maybe, or are you more focused on some than others? Um, and does contract compliance come into this as well? The, the negotiating committee in conjunction with the MEC will be releasing uh, what ALPA usually refers to as, a, as an opener document, uh, which will highlight the demands uh, or the priorities of each particular article of our collective agreement. Again, these demands or priorities are based on the survey data and using the other airlines and the comparator documents that we've published to the, to the membership. Uh, regarding your question on compliance issues, um, we're hoping to deal uh, with this by removing ambiguous language as much as possible. And we understand that this is a real pressure point for our membership and we understand why. You know, our goal here is to make the contract simple and, and really quite easy to understand. Uh, with the change in ALPA, 
and the ELPA policy manual after the contract negotiations. Our goal here is to have three members of our current team of six to stay on in a contract compliance role. And the reason behind that is because they're going to be able to understand the agreement at the table, the intent behind it, and the logic. And this should help us in, in downline any sort of dispute resolution that may uh, present itself. That makes a lot of sense. I can tell you as an active pilot that some of our language, like may or should, is extremely ambiguous, and it's, it seems to be favored on the side of the company. And Harold, if you want to jump in here, feel free. But there is, I might be triggering you here with some of these words. I don't know if you know any other terms. Uh, well, sound economic principles is one that uh, oh, I particularly sound dislike. Sound economic principles, yeah. love it. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it not, not only does it favor the company, but it allows a pilot to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. But then we have to go through a process to prove whether or not, but by then they've already done the thing they don't want to do. Yeah. And that doesn't really work for anybody, right? So having language that is very clear, you know, Pilot option is our personal favorite. So the pilot gets to choose whether they want to do something or not. It's very clear in the language. They get to make that choice. Yeah. Then it's okay. If they want to do it, go ahead. If you don't want to do it, you have that option. Yeah, that's right. So you're setting these thresholds for each article. I imagine there's a lot of data that you have to process. There's other Alpha carrier comparables. There's pilot surveys. And then there's the negotiations committee's own knowledge, which clearly there's a lot of um, who defines the mark? Like who sets that? Who's steering the ship? So really, it starts with the survey data. The survey data is what drives everything. The survey data, you know, that gets handed to the committees. We use them as SMEs. That gets presented to the MEC, who sets a mandate for the NC to go capture. Now, we use that data. We talk to other groups. We, we do roundtables with, you know, Delta, United, WestJet, whoever we happen to be talking to on a given week on a particular subject. Yep. But we use our knowledge and the knowledge we're getting from our other pilot groups and try to put a fine point on some of that. But it's all driven by the survey data. It's what the members say they care about, what they want. Mm. I, so I guess survey data is the primary focus. The MEC grabs that, processes it, and then gives it to the negotiation committee to work with? Absolutely. Okay. Can you touch on a new powerful tool that we have at the table? Uh, it's called ALPA's Economic and Financial Analysis Team. What role does that play in our bargaining? ENFA role, they're there to advise the NC on the economic environment, financial capabilities of the company, as well as a competitive industry environment. By using the same data the company uses, ENFA can cost out our proposals. That helps us decide where the money gets spent on our members. We, you know, there's priorities. We all know that salary is a big priority. We also know that quality of life is a big priority. And, and somehow you have to know if you're doing 50-50, what what that split is. If you're doing 75-25, you need to know where that costing goes. And ENFA helps us basically look at what the company's costing, make sure that they're accurate, or provide our own costing when we don't agree with what the company's doing, or maybe provide our own costing in the first place as we consider proposals. Okay, so in a scenario where you present something that the pilots want and with a cost estimate, and the company disagrees with the cost, they think it costs more, how do you resolve a situation like that? It, it must happen a lot. Part of that is, you know, I, I hate to say it's a staff issue, but but ENFA would have that argument with the Air Canada person that's responsible for costing. Okay. At the end of the day, we may have to say, we don't care what you're costing it at. This is how we're costing it, and this mm -hmm. is the value it brings to our pilots. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the costing is a factor. We have to be cognizant of it. 
But it's not the decision maker. The survey is the decision maker. What the pilots want is the decision maker for us. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then how much support from subject matter experts do you get on a daily or, or weekly basis? I think it's fair to say that that's really ad hoc. This week uh, on pension, we talked to Eckler. A month or two ago, we talked to the People's Corp about benefits. We've had more Zoom and Teams calls than I can think of with teams from Delta, United, WestJet, Transat, Alaska. We've talked about pairing production. We've talked about reserve. We've talked about all kinds of different issues that other pilot groups have gone through. Yeah. So these discussions with their NCs and other committees, like scheduling, we're using the ALPA internal resources like ENFA that we already talked about, LRD. We've talked to lawyers involved in scope. We've talked to a whole bunch of different departments from ALPA. And we've also talked to other companies that are outside of aviation. So we, we mm-hmm. did actually look at the benefits that we receive in Canada as Canadian pilots versus other companies that are in Canada and what they're getting. Mm-hmm. So we've looked not only in our own industry, but we've also looked at the industries in Canada that impact. So we, we've gone and kind of gone to every, every type of subject matter expert we can. The nice thing is we have direct access to all the other Apple pilots. So when we get an answer that we're not sure of, we have someone we can go to to say, how does this work for you? What are you doing with this? How do you make this work for your pilot group? And uh, they're pretty willing to share their data. Absolutely. Same union. Yeah. Okay, that's nice. That's a yeah. nice feature to have. Yeah. 76,000 members. A lot of data. Okay, great. So this next section is, uh, okay, I call it this hard talk in my planning. It's We're talking specific articles. Naturally, we won't have time to go through every article as much as I would love to. We can't do that today. You would um, not love to. That would be so boring because yeah. we will get into minutia. <laughs> yeah. I assure you. Okay. And we're actually we're sitting in uh, Toronto right now. We're in our the media room at Alpa, Alpa headquarters. There's there's no windows, and uh, I feel like we'd lose our minds. If we're yes. sitting in here going through every article. It's almost like you guys have done it. Yes, for eight months. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Well, all right. Let's start nice and light with Article 19, vacation. Nice and light. That's an interesting way to put it. Okay, it's light. It's on the lighter end. Okay. Okay, and then we'll get, you know, into ugh, PBS, uh, sick leave, reserve, but I'm starting light, vacation. An Air Canada pilot receives two hours and 55 minutes of pay for a day versus four hours and 25 for a min credit day if they were working. That makes it difficult when you've got two weeks of vacation in your month. Do you, can you just explain why, why that makes it difficult for us? The reality is the current vacation credit basically gives you guaranteed days off, but doesn't substantially affect your month. You still work close to the same amount of days, especially on, you know, the least productive months. You can still work almost as many days as you'd normally work. On the narrow body, we have a 16-day restriction. If you take two weeks of vacation, you shouldn't be able to work 12 days still. You shouldn't be able to work 10 days still. So, you know, it's a really big factor. the survey data was very clear with what the members think of the 255, so it's something we obviously need to work on. How do we fix all of that? I don't know how easy it is to fix it immediately, but it's something that obviously is on our radar to deal with. Sure, yeah, okay. And, and just to expand on that a little bit for if there's members of the public that are listening that don't understand. So on average, we might work 80 hours in a month. That's what more credit pay will be, 80 hours. And it's not that we're actually just working 80 hours, it's that's what we get paid for. It's part break release to part break set time, essentially. It doesn't include anything else. If we have two weeks of vacation and 
then we need to work for two weeks. So that two weeks of vacation will be totaled as roughly, actually it'll be less than 30 hours of pay. So now we've got two weeks with which we have to somehow find 50 hours of flying squeezed into two weeks. So you pay a brutal price for taking your vacation uh, at one point of the month, you have to make up for it at the other. Yeah, that needs some work for sure. Okay, moving along, Article 17, that's pension. There's one pilot group, but there's two specific types of pension. But within that, everyone's kind of divided into different groups. Harold, it's quite complicated, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, so the DB plan itself has layers. There's a different set of MPUs for Canadian pilots versus Air Canada pilots. There's a different set of MPUs for pilots hired not prior to 1990 versus post-1990. There was MPU increases contemplated until uh, bankruptcy, and then we started MPU increases again in 2014. So there's a whole bunch of different output from everybody's same input into the DB pension plan. MPU, define that for me. Uh, maximum pension unit. So that's it's basically a number used to calculate what your pension is going to be when you retire. And the number is very, very important the day you retire. It's really when the number becomes important. But the higher the number, the more your pension can technically be. And are we, are we sticking with that? Multiple different plans for different pilots? Or are we trying to kind of bring it together? So we, we've seen this with our pilot group, Unity. Right? We talk about it a lot. We talk about, you know, in our picketing events, we want the pilots together. So a big part of our push on the negotiating side is so that our pilots are treated the same. So the DB plan and the quit plan from an input perspective, should be identical. They should be as close to the same as you can get. Now, the QIP plan has external factors like the ability for the QIP trustees to approve increases. So, you know, uh, pseudo-indexation, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's something that is outside of our control. It's based on the value of, of QIP. But as far as what our pilots put into it, they should be putting in the same, and the output should be roughly the same, And which also means we probably need to work on some sort of pseudo-indexation on the DB plan. I was going to ask you, actually, so that the DB plan, for those pilots, there is no indexing anymore, there is there? There is no indexing, no. So without indexing, uh, a pilot who retired, and, and I'm going to mess up the years, so I'm going, to ballpark, okay. I'm going to ballpark this. Sure. Let's say a pilot retired in 2006, 2005 type of thing, when indexation stopped. Their pension, their purchasing power in their pension is about 40-ish percent less. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with a legacy carrier like Air Canada, guys put in 30, 35, 40, I've seen 44 years on some of our retirement memos before. And uh, what a shame to have your pension devalued like that. So the pension currently is massively overfunded. It it doesn't look like that's gonna stop the companies on a pension holiday. And I think it's fair to say that our pilots deserve some of the money that they've put in back. Mm-hmm. It is the, the pilot's money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to keep you on the mic there, Harold, if you don't mind. Um, let's see. Article 27, PBS Awards. I feel like I can just say our bidding system is atrocious. I don't know if that's the right word. It's it's like it's run by a Pentium 1 computer, which, uh, but you know, in the 90s, a Pentium 1 was a solid machine. I like, I mean, 100 megahertz processing power. I remember my first one. Oh, me too. Yeah. Windows 95. Yeah, yeah. A flight, flight simulator 95. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But we're in 2023 now. The the amount of delays in pilots getting their schedule, and I appreciate the updates from the PBS committee, which, um, you know, like the, the computer's working on it. We're trying to create a solution. 
we're, I feel like we're constantly seeing 80 or 85 hour DBM months for the pilots with uh, pairings that are min credit days. And how is the computer, how is it gonna come up with that? I mean, that's just one aspect of our PBS system. Yeah, so you, you triggered me a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna go down the you pairing yours. construction <laughs> road, yeah. but part of what you're talking about has a lot to do with how are the pairings constructed. Alaska has been very successful in having their own pairing creation committee. They're, they actually make the pairings and they have you know rules about what cost it can be in comparison to what the company comes up with. Yeah. You know, United, Delta are both going down the path of having a hand in construction of the pairings. Uh, we've had a lot of talks with Delta. Delta's about six months ahead of where we are as far as getting into a pairing construction committee and actually having a hand in how the pairings are constructed. So that's one part of the problem, having better pairings and having more credit for the pairings. You know, PBS is, let, let's call it what it is, garbage in, garbage out. It, if all the pairings are terrible, PBS is only gonna be able to do so much. So we need to fix step one, mm -hmm. but then let's talk about PBS. We've, we've told the company very clearly, in some areas of the contract, PBS is a good example, quite willing to be collaborative. What do you need from us? What do we need to talk about in order for you to look at a better bidding system so mm. our pilots get better results? Better systems so they know how to bid, it's very clear how to bid, and they understand why they're getting the results they're getting, whether it's based on, you know, my seniority didn't hold this pairing, I really wanted it, oh, but I can actually see why I didn't get it. And we don't have to have, and I don't know how many of the members know, our volunteers go to the building where the pairings are published when PBS is run and they actually go through everybody's results and look for errors manually. Yeah. That type of stuff can be done by the computer and other systems do offer that. So far, we haven't had uh, much buy-in from the company on that because a lot of our rules they think are too complicated to switch systems, but we're still looking at you know, what's out there, what works better for our pilots. Our, our PBS committee is, is very invested in looking at those options. One of our NC members is a former PBS member. Mm, so helpful. he's, yeah, yes. yeah. So he's got a really good insight on that stuff. And, and it's really helped us, you know, I've, I've worked with him on that. It's really helped us kind of drive up a, a wedge into where we think we need to be in order to get a better PBS system. James, you want to get in on that? Yeah, I just I think from a uh, I won't talk about the the system specifically, but I will mention that it, again, very clear in the in the information and then the feedback we received from the members that uh, an earlier uh, release date and so when pilots yeah. know their schedule earlier in the month is also very important in this round of bargaining. Yeah, it, and it's it's confuses me when commercial like they you know they're planning and they're selling tickets for flights a year out. So the company already knows what the aircraft needs for what routes and whatnot. Our pairing package will come out the first third of the month. We've had bid closing, you know, anywhere from the 18th, 19th, 20th, sometimes the 21st. My wife loses it because her schedule generally is based on whatever schedule it is that I get. And sometimes we don't get our schedules until the 22nd. I've seen it all the way up to actually to the 27th. At one, I remember one month it came out. You can't yell at someone, you know, you can't phone up and... Because it's like it's completely out of your control. Let, let, let's be real here. Uh, the earlier the pilots can get their schedules, 
the happier they're going to be, and a happy yep. pilot is a productive pilot. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. let let's look at it from a big from a big very high level. Yep. This is something that certainly benefits the pilots, but let's be let's be honest, it certainly benefits the company as well. Yeah. Let's get our pilots, let's get our schedules. Everyone's got families, everyone's got got priorities in their life, and mm-hmm. and this is a big point for us to get in this round of bargaining. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this is a bit more of a personal thing, I think, but Miss Awards, while we're talking about PBS. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of a terrible Miss Award where uh, all I needed was my wife's birthday off. And I got, well, I worked right through it. And then a single day off. It was a six-day shift, a single day off, and then into, I think it was a five-day shift or something along those lines. I don't know how it happened. And I talked to the PBS guys and they talked to the company who talked to the PBS software provider guys. And they said, yeah, you know, we don't know what happened. The computer screwed up. I'm like, okay, great. It was a mistake. So what do we do? And they're like, well, you can drop it, no credit and try to make up the time, or you can work reserved. Yeah. And uh, that was the options. It, not great options, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, if I can expand on that just a little sure, bit here, sure. um, you know, the Miss Award aside, we're also trying to increase some flexibilities, some greater flexibilities for our pilot group once their schedule actually is published. So uh, we've got... Um, the understanding that our trip trade system that we have right now is not great. It's awful. It's terrible. And it's something that certainly needs to be improved. Mm-hmm. But we're also looking for different uh, avenues or faucets that that our pilots can exercise once they actually have their schedule to introduce some flexibility. So we understand mm-hmm. that, yes, it's going to be great to get your schedule earlier, but then some things come up some way, sometimes halfway through the month or even beginning before your block month begins. We need to have um, options available yeah. to our pilots that can maneuver and deal with those last minute situations that come up. So we're trying to entertain those sort of ideas, especially in this round. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear because sometimes, like you said, life happens. I mean, we've all got our own life at home outside of flying. It's unpredictable. Something comes up and uh, and you need the company to work with you on that. And you work with the company in return when Absolutely. they need something. You know, it's a, it's a give and take. So... All right, moving forward. I knew PBS was going to be a big one. Yeah. I have a feeling in my heart. I mean, I'm all triggered now too. Yeah, it, it, oh. it's kind of a real sore point for me because because I've been involved in in pairing productivity. I've done so many yep. different projects on pairings in my previous time on the MEC. Yeah, and and to just continuously get pushback from the company where they don't want to improve some of this stuff has been frustrating. Yeah. But I think we're actually at the point where we can get somewhere. Yeah, and and I have to say it's really nice to be able to sit. You know, across the table from you guys, and we're, we are talking about the letdowns in our in our contracts, specifically now PBS. But I feel like we're in a position where, yeah, we're talking about what could we do. Okay, we could give a more human side to if we need a day off and it's unexpected, or okay, well, if if there's a miss award, there's got to be more options than just be on reserve, like on call all month, or just lose all of the credit for that pairing. There's so much more that we could have that won't. I don't think it'll cost the company that much, but it'll make the pilots so much happier. All right, so there wasn't any particularly good spot to end part one, but this will be it. Join us in part two and continue the discussion with the negotiations committee. Okay, 